just to launch this conversation. This is our playground. They have spontaneous conversations. They don't plan this. I mean, there's actually something sort of spiritual about that. What's he do? He's a human being. <laughs> yeah, I'm a sexist feminist. We should be friends. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Rob and Callie Show. My name's Rob Kay. I'm a life coach here in New York City, and I'm sitting with my friend Callie Alpert. Hello, Miss Alpert. Good evening. Your voice is particularly deep tonight. Is it? Yeah. Did well, you notice that, or is it just no, me? I, 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 missed you I all week. actually didn't notice that. <laughs> it has like an extra special little extra something going on. I don't know. I don't afraid to ask. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just, I don't know, springtime. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's sort of what it is. Where's your mind at, Albert? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's on springtime. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, actually, me too. I love the spring. <laughs> so, yeah, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Cool. I was just thinking, like, what am I? What do I want to say? Mercury retrograde is in full regalia. Oh, yeah. You know, for another, I don't know what it. I've lost track, but I've been feeling it, and but it's been this time because often I feel it well before it happens. Yeah. And um, I try not to dignify it too much, or then you start like looking for things that are, you know, whatever complicated and troublesome technology or weird communication with friends or family, whatever. Mm. But this time I've had a lot of people from my past coming back and circling around me and having sort of unsolicited conversations that are buttoning things up. Yeah. And one of them's happening tonight after the show. Somebody from my past who came back out of the woodwork and we're going to meet afterwards. So Great. So we have material for our next show. <laughs> That's fantastic. Right, you could follow me with a microphone because I'm sure it'll prove to be quite interesting. I'll say to the guy, uh, can you speak up a little? We're not getting exactly what you're saying. Now, I can edit it, but I can't edit that great. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. What about you? How are you doing? Yeah, no, Mercury Retrograde, you know, be kicking my ass a little bit, but it's all right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hearing from people from the past and just dealing with things but it's good and thank god the sun is out i'm just glad springtime is here amen brother amen sister yes so just want to welcome everybody around the world listening and again want to thank all the listeners without you we really wouldn't have a show it means so much to me and callie that you spend however much time listening to the whatever episode you choose to listen to so thank you for listening yeah we haven't said that for a while so thank you for doing that sure and um yes want to welcome everybody again to talkradio.nyc that's where you're listening to us right now um we do have a really cool interesting uh, guest and conversation tonight we'll put out um the phone number in case anybody would like to join us 877-480-4120 we always welcome your thoughts comments stories Um, But yeah, we really do um, appreciate and um, value everybody listening and sharing the show with other people because that's how we've been building our audience. It's really just one person at a time. Yeah. You know, and just people spreading the word and sharing it around. So yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. And tonight we got Sam on the board. We got Patrick, the intern. We got the whole crew here. We do. So shall we introduce our lovely guest? Let's do it. All right. Well, part of uh, this is, well... I'm not going to say this is the main reason that we asked her to join us, but it's also really nice because I was moaning a little bit over the last few weeks that we haven't had as many female guests as we've had male guests on the show. Um, so in the name of that, that's just one extra little off-label benefit of our guest tonight. Um, but so tonight we have um, Dr. Cheryl Karcher, who's a board-certified dermatologist here in New York City and also a recovery advocate. And I want to say a little bit more before we... Um, before we officially in, uh, welcome her, which is that I um, I had the pleasure. So so Joni Peltzer, who's one of our hosts here at TalkRadio.nyc and has right. her own show with Priya mm-hmm. on Fridays at noon. Shout out to Joni is also <laughs> is also a very spectacular human being and a and a prime mensch. Um, but she does a lot of work in the city with women's group and networking uh, women's groups and networking groups as well. And she was having an event. Um, it was really only maybe two weeks ago. Um, and it was, uh, it was based on, she has different guests and speakers and this one was around our, um, our guest tonight. And so that's how we met, or at least how I think we met, right, Cheryl? Yes, that's right. Um, although we also feel like we might've been very familiar to each other based on a TV show I was working on, right? We might've had a little bit of a past I together that I'm, did. that we I'm blocking. Mm-hmm. We had a past. <laughs> um, but I was so taken with your story as were all the women that were there that night that I think I asked you that night to be a guest on yeah, our show. I didn't I did. even talk to Rob about it. Um, so welcome, number one. Thank you. It's so nice to have you here. This is great to welcome be here. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. 
So I guess we want to start. I mean, you have a really um, amazing story. And, you know, our theme tonight is sort of the um, falling from grace or triumph over tragedy, whatever, you know, however we want to um, sort of articulate it. But um, it's also that your story was pretty is and was pretty high level and got a lot of press based on you and just the stature of your career as a dermatologist and your clientele and um, being here in New York City and all that, right? Right. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's fair to say. So do you want to, can you give us a little background on just like what kind of practice you had and how you were def- defining and identifying yourself as a doctor? Yes, that's that's a great idea. I um, I didn't know this. I did not know I was considered a, quote, celebrity dermatologist. I didn't find that out till later, but I... I have a lovely practice here at Sadik Dermatology on Park Avenue in New York City. And um, I have what you would call everyday people. I have moms. I have kids. Um, but I also have actresses and actors and models and, you know, high-powered lawyers. Every, every walk of life that you get here in New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, I've done a lot of television um, uh, pertaining to dermatology and the practice of aesthetics and cosmetics and 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 I love it It, I I love it with every ounce of passion I have Um, it's kind of like immediate gratification people walk into the office with something that bothers them physically and now mentally and when they walk out it's it's usually gone and and I love that you have beautiful skin, by the way. No, oh, <laughs> but we might as well just throw that in there. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, did did you want to? Did you want to? No, go ahead. Oh, okay, so I just wanted so so to that point. So you were living. You were practicing for how many years um, before? I was practicing for probably sixteen, seventeen years before this happened. And you were feeling pretty self possessed, comfortable in your skin, living well, a nice life, or not? What I didn't know. No pun intended. Of course. Yeah. What I what I. What I didn't know is I really was living um, for what it looked like on the outside. Like I had had so many people, so many people say, oh, I would, Cheryl, I would love your life. You know, I have a great husband. I have a great family. I have a, a, a fantastic career. Um, I'm healthy. And I, I was told that more than one occasion when in fact, you never know what's going on behind mm. closed doors. And so on the outside, I'm telling you everything looked perfect. And on the inside, it was not that. And it's such a great lesson for everybody. You can hear that over and over and over again. But you don't really believe it. You always think, oh, that other person has what I want. And the fact is, they don't. They really don't. And so I was living this grand life when... Um, actually, and it did look like I had it all, and on the inside, I was really suffering. So, the kind of life I was leading, I didn't know that. You know, I was—I I don't know what to say. It's—it's it's hard to explain. But on the outside, I looked great, mm. and everybody else thought I was great. Everyone, and on the inside, I wasn't great. So. What happened? When when did the fall from grace start? Yeah, or so, what was going on on the inside? I'm curious yeah, about so, before we even get to that point. Well, what happened was I um, I'm very physically active. I'm a I'm an athlete. I'm a I'm a tomboy, and I did all kinds of things. You know, 16 years of classical Russian ballet. Maybe part of that was trying to be perfect. I don't know. Um, tennis, swim teams. You know. Uh, cross-country teams I I did it all and eventually as as one gets older it it takes a a toll on the body and so I had three ACL replacements and I only have two knees and I had a total shoulder replacement and I also had to have an abdominal surgery so I had five major surgeries in the span of a couple of years and every time I would get a couple of uh, I would get uh, pain pills and I remember the first time I was given a pain pill. Okay, so I took two. I didn't take just one. I took two. And it was like utopia. I had no stress. I had no anxiety. 
I, I, it didn't matter what I ate. It didn't matter how messy my room was. I just sat there and I cleaned and I thought I was taking care of myself and I, it was just, so that's what happened. My genetic makeup really liked that Percocet. Mm -hmm. Did you know, and so did you, did, did you become addicted? I guess it's the first. Oh yeah. So, um, I really, I mean, it felt good. And so I continued to take it and, as a doctor, as physicians, we um, have easy access. And um, I did not become addicted right away, or I didn't have addictive behavior right away. Let's put it that way. Um, but eventually I did. And I would come home every night, and I would be super mom. I would come home, and I'd want to make the apple pie, and I'd want to put the kids' clothes away. And I wanted to help them do their homework, and I'd want to sit in bed and read their stories. Everything that every working mom has to deal with. And I have subsequently learned there are a lot of moms out there that come home, have that glass of wine to be able to deal with their second full-time job. And that's what I did. Only I became addicted, and in order to obtain those pills, I did uh, things that weren't so great. And uh, I realized I was addicted, and I went and got help. I went and got help from an addiction psychiatrist, and I went to a 12-step program. And, and then it wasn't till a year and a half later that I got in trouble for what I did. I was a year and a half sober. I was a year and a half helping others, running a program for physicians. And uh, that's what happened the- and then the the SWAT team walked into my Park Avenue office as I'm treating my lovely lawyer patient with a cool laser and they banged on the door and there were 10 of them dressed in regalia and 10 I, SWAT yes officers. I was I was on what you call them SWAT officers I don't I, know I, I I didn't know it was the mm-hmm. SWAT team until my friends told me you could tell by their boots and their uniforms oh my lord I was on MSNBC before I walked out the door I was on every news station every television station I was on taxi TV I was I was everywhere mm. Yep. Well, it's so funny because I was joking with Cheryl before the show, and I'm like, "Yeah, when you walked in, I just thought criminal. You just <laughs> you got that that look, you know. So yeah, the fact right. that the SWAT team is brought up in this story doesn't really surprise me. I am really threatening looking. For I know, those of you yeah, on the listening yeah, on the radio, hardly threatening looking. Right. That's funny. So we're we're gonna go to break, and then we're gonna pick up the story and hear what happened after you met the SWAT team. We will be right back. Okay. And welcome back to talkradio.nyc, the Robin Callie show. Tonight we are here with Dr. Cheryl Karcher, board certified dermatologist here in New York City with quite a tale to tell. Before the break, we had talked about the, um, just sort of the the progression of your uh, addiction to Percocet um, and then getting sober and a year and a half into your sobriety, 10 SWAT, or a team of 10 SWAT, whatever you call them, officers shows up at your Park Avenue office. And as Sam just so aptly said, 10 people, that is such overkill. I mean, what, what were they? So tell me what well, happened. Tell us what happened. In all fairness, um, opiate addiction is epidemic. Yeah. And in all fairness, uh, they want to do something to stop it. And I just assumed that I was going to be the poster child for physicians. I mean, physician addiction is just like everybody else's addiction. It's rampant. Mm. And that's probably the way they thought they would scare physicians straight. And I have no malice towards them. I, um, I understand what I think they were trying to do. Um, and I think they wanted a ho- high-profile person so that they could make a big splash and they did make a big splash and um yeah so physician addiction is now out there so just to back up um, a little bit isn't i i believe i heard this um when i first heard your story that you were writing prescriptions to yourself i was using patients your patients names that is correct correct? okay that is exactly what i did Mm -hmm. um 
in order because I didn't want to be without the Percocet. And um, when I realized I wanted to stop, oh, I wanted to stop so many, many times. I would send my family out to Connecticut and try to withdraw on the weekends, and I'd make it till Monday, and I'd make it through work. And then mm. Monday after work, I, 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 I couldn't do it anymore. I felt too lousy. Um, so and that's when I went and got help. And wasn't there also, just because I think these are important points, not to belabor them, but I think it just to give people the extent of like the gravity of this pandemic around the country, um, is, weren't, wasn't there, weren't there also a, a f- maybe a pharmacist or two that might have been a little complicit in giving and filling prescriptions without you even giving them prescriptions That's after a exactly while? That's exactly what happened. I didn't even have to give him prescriptions. I'd walk in, what do you want today, doc? Mm. And I'd tell him and he'd hand them to me. And, you know, I now know that that he was my drug dealer. Yeah. I hate to say that. I had a drug dealer. I mean, <laughs> me, I'm literally, if you guys knew me, I'm such a good girl. Um, but yes, I had a pharmacist that, you know, they had to make money too. And I guess he figured if he gave me what I asked for, he'd make more money. So that was his story. Mm. So let's go back to the SWAT team. They come in, they come into your office, and what happens from there? Well, I... Um, you know, I they took me to a precinct and I got booked. And I tell you, I remember one officer. It's a very long story, and it's. Um, I remember the officer wanting to put on his good jacket because he knew he was going to be photographed. And I was surrounded by media. Um, the the cop car couldn't leave because media was flashing lights, flash, 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 flash. And long and the short of it is, they. Um, you know, there was media everywhere. They, I was almost tripped because the cameras were in my face. And um, so anyway, I, I, I had a wonderful husband who picked me up and brought me sunglasses so that my pictures outside of the courthouse would, I'd have sunglasses on. And it was very, that was very cute of him. And uh, we, we couldn't go straight home because there were reporters outside my house. So Mm. we went to Connecticut. And then Three days later, my stepfather dies. Mm. Now, my father was um, a little bit on the abusive side, to be nice, and um, I loved my stepfather. So three days later, he died. Four days later, my husband lost his job. So we went from a two-income family to a zero-income family in the state of a week. Mm. And grieving. And grieving. On some level. Mm -hmm. And grieving. And... I think one of the whole points of this story is that I knew I was going to be okay no matter what. And and truly, within a couple of weeks, I had a job. My husband had a job. And we, we carried on. Um, but I going through all that trauma, and I do have PTSD. Mm. I will tell you that. I have PTSD. Um, Join the crowd. Yeah. We, we were in Connecticut. It's all rage now these days. Isn't it, it seems to be a, a very common not to minimize it but, diagnosis. Yeah. But I had. Uh, we were in Connecticut, and I had six cop cars coming way up the steep hill we live on. And I went and I got my husband. I'm like, they're coming to get me. They're coming to get me. And when in fact there were uh, six cars coming to uh, fix the electricity in my oh, mom's okay. house or whatever. Yeah. But I have severe PTSD. Yeah. So you um, just to- uh, and I just want to say yeah. no. I meant that I'm part of the club. Like yeah. I know what that's like, mm-hmm. and and it is like a serious sort of thing to have to deal with, and it can be challenging. And good for you for facing and dealing with it. Yeah, you know, um, you're going to be okay no matter what. Like, you just have to kind of have that mantra. I went to a, uh, I had to see a psychiatrist. I went to a psychiatrist, and the first thing he says to me is, do you feel like killing yourself? Um, and I didn't. I I just didn't. I um, I really think it, that family, faith, and, and friends, I had a good support system. You really find out who your friends are when you go yeah. through something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. which, is, which is actually qu- quite a, a blessing. You have, I had colleagues who uh, went behind my back and tried to grab the things I had, and I had uh, patients though who just stuck by me, and it, it's a really kind of a cool experience, I have to say. What was it like when you, so after you get, I want to back up just for a moment, because mm-hmm. I'm curious apart where you, I'm curious about the part where you were in the, like the darkest um, phase of all of this. So you got arrested, obviously, and taken in. And then it sounds like what happened after that in terms of the. 
to be the part honest. where you kind of had fallen out of you know fallen out of your your place in your office and dealing oh, with all yeah. that grief so, and everything to be true the darkest phase was not when i was arrested mm. the darkest phase was when i couldn't stop the percocet that was the darkest phase when I was arrested, I knew I was going to be okay. I was year, a year and a half sober. I knew I was doing the right thing every day. And uh, that was not my darkest phase. Mm-hmm. But um, I could not go back to my office um, because the media was camping out, interviewing patients in and out. So I couldn't I couldn't bring that to the office. So I had to find a, another place to work. And there's a, a wonderful, I'll give a shout out to Dr. Wade, who... Um, took me in. She's an anesthesiologist, and she's she has had to revive doctors off the floor from fentanyl overdose, etc. Oh, wow. mm. She's very familiar with it, and she she took me. She she asked around. She asked everybody, "What's this woman like? What's this woman like?" And no one had said anything bad about me. So she mm. she took, took me in, in. Mm. and um, I worked there uh, until Doctor Sadik was able to take me back. And That's your current uh-huh. uh, partner, mm-hmm. or yes, mm-hmm. and um, I had to rebuild. You know, mm-hmm. it, I I didn't just I don't have the practice I used to have, but what I do have is I have patients coming to me saying, "I read about your story. I have a similar story. I came to you because I trust you," mm-hmm. or I struggled too, and I wanted somebody who would be able. I would be able to trust. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of. Um, I don't think you're going to try to sell me a bill of goods. I don't think you're going to do to me what I don't need. Um, which my I had trust from my patients before, but these are p- people who never knew me before, and are coming in because of what I went through. Mm-hmm. And it's really really cool. Yeah. I think it's so important to have you on the show because a lot of times people think about drug addiction as, you know, heroin addicts or cocaine addicts or just, you know, kids in college, you smoke weed or whatever. And it's like, here we are sitting with a board certified doctor who's, uh, who was addicted to pain meds. Listen, there are Oscar winners. There are major lawyers there. I mean, this disease has no boundaries. It doesn't care your economic status. It doesn't care your profession. It doesn't care if you're black or white or yellow. It doesn't care where you live. Yeah. It doesn't care about any of that. And yeah. Well, what do they say from Yale to jail? It, they're Easy. addicts. You <laughs> I know? heard that expression. But yeah. yeah. I mean, white collar addiction is really, really popular. And the sad part is, especially the upper crust, like the high school kids and, su- and such with, with the money, mm-hmm. they can buy these pills and these pills are now being cut with fentanyl. Mm. And so we're having so people dangerous. die. I mean, there are seven people died in a week in Staten Island. The, they're, they're coming out of rehab and then slipping. And they thought they think they can take as much as they did before rehab, and that's how these kids are dying. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, people all over the world are dying of opiates. Uh, you know, it's it's bad. It's a really really mm-hmm. pervasive problem. It really really is. Mm-hmm. Do you ever um, feel bef- before we get to um, just how you've what your recovery, and I mean it more um, professionally and and um, your sobriety. Okay. Um, how was it to, did you ever feel like you lost your identity or questioned yourself or had to, you know, felt like the sort of the toils of having to rebuild your career and, yeah, well, and kind of regain people, the people that didn't trust you? Did you have those yeah, issues? So, um, I, ne- I realized afterwards that I took a lot for granted. I took my earning potential for granted. I took all the patients that trusted me for granted. I took um, I, I took my status uh, for granted, um, and now um, I am more than. There's a lot more to me than I'm a great dermatologist. <laughs> like I'm not being a jerk. I really am good, and um, but I'm much more than that. You know, uh, much much more than that. And so, if it ended, I'm not going to die. If it ends, I will find something else really wonderful to do. Dermatology is my passion, but you know, I can find something else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as rebuilding, like what I found was, people who knew me before this incident 
stuck with me. The people who criticized me were the people who never met me. Mm. Mm. The people who would write bad comments on the New York Times articles or whatever, they had never met me. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know me from Adam. They just assume, as I did in the past, that drug addicts are lowlifes. So they were just being judgmental, just like I Mm. had been in the past. Mm. And so that's that. Um, The disappointing thing is the medical community, although addiction is recognized as a true disease, um, insurance pays for it, um, it is chronic, debilitating, and fatal, the medical medical profession is the profession that judged me the most Mm. and the profession that I am not trying. I have no desire to try to win back their trust. Mm. Uh, the man I work with, Dr. Sadik, knew me before, knows me very well, knows me as well as anybody. Um, and any other physicians, if they don't uh, trust me or want to be with me, that's fine. That's their issue, not mine. I have plenty of physicians who know me and are close to me and respect me with everything they have. So the people that don't are people that just don't understand and let that be their issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm listening to you and it's like, you know, you're such a great gal and it reminds me about what I've heard about the disease of addiction where addicts aren't bad people. They're good people with a bad disease. And it just shows how when people recover, they get into recovery, they get sober and straight, they're completely different people than them when they were using. It's like they they just become who they really are. Have you felt that way? Um, I don't feel like I'm a completely different person. I feel like when I went through this horrible addiction, I wasn't able to focus on anything but myself. Mm. And so I... I, I uh, I don't feel like I'm that different, but I certainly am able to um, um, work on a higher plane, you know, with a with a with a higher purpose and much more deep level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd like to hear more about that for sure. We're going to go to a break. We're here with Dr. Cheryl Karcher and talk radio.nyc and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Robin Kelly Show. Tonight, our guest is Dr. Cheryl Karcher, and Cheryl is telling her story about sort of a fall from grace and what happened when she escaped the depths and hitting bottom of addiction and got into recovery. And I know that um, 12-step programs are spiritually based, and there's some sort of a belief in, in some power greater than the person. And you talked about your faith, so maybe you could talk more about that, how faith has helped you get sober. Yeah, I um, I don't want to turn anybody off that's listening. My My faith is in God. I have a big, huge, strong faith in God. And um, I've struggled uh, for a long time. Like, how do I get close to God? How do I feel God? How do I? And after years, literally years of, of thinking about that, I realized it, that's what the whole faith part is. You just, it's just right there. I mean, it's just, it's just your higher power, your God, whatever it is, it's right there. Um, you, you don't, you ask and he's right there. And, and that's really what got me got me through I um I knew that no matter what uh I was taken care of um people without that like I have two colleagues two dermatologists I know that one killed himself and one died of an overdose simply because of I don't think they had that I mean people without faith it's got to be a much harder life to live um I um yeah, I listened to a guy, uh, another shout out, uh, Dr. Tim Keller. I like to listen to this guy because he's all, it, he makes it very, very simple. And uh, God, if God is God, then God's everything. And if God's everything, then why are you worrying? It's mm-hmm. like God has a plan and it's not mine. He laughs at my face when I have a plan. And so I just went with it. And I remember being in my living room. I remember this was just a few days after I had been arrested and my husband lost his job, and which, by the way, had nothing to do with me or him. It was just a downsizing. It was just a normal thing. And I just remember thinking, everything's going to be okay. I mean, you know what? So what if you don't have as much money? So what? It's just, 
uh, and everything turned around. Um, but it's that faith. It's really that faith that got me through and the family and the friends. Hmm. Yeah, faith, it's such an um, amorphous concept, obviously. And it feels like people um, often try to enlist it more when they're in a dark place. It's easy to have faith when you're in a happier or lighter space, right? That's when it really gets tested. And I think it's uh, it's such an important point you bring up because we often seek, you know, I'm just a seeker by nature during good times and bad times. And um, often we go to so many lengths and read so many, depending on what your faith is, if it's um, something that's a little bit more um, religion-based based based on your family of origin or Mm -hmm. your own exploration or more spiritually, non-denominationally based with books or gurus or whatever it is that you're seeking. Um, And it seems like there are... um, you know, we take so much effort to try to figure out what those answers are and get hit upside the head. But until you kind of relax and surrender and realize it's all so close, it really is just a thin veil away all the time. That, to me, is the true measure of faith, more than the practices. It's just the, the idea that you really believe and that you know it's there. Yes. You know? Yes. Did, um, did you always know it was there for you before all of this happened? Um, I had my very strong faith before all this happened. Um, yeah, I, you know, I have funny different stories. Like I was, um, I was a seeker too for a while. And like, uh, one, a member of my, my sister, actually, I, I saw, I literally in the corner of my eye saw a person being raised off the floor. Now I'm a scientist. I'm a doctor. I'm not a hoodoo, hoodoo, voodoo person, <laughs> but I'm telling you, the head, the chest, the butt, and the legs were all levitated off the floor. And they were praying in tongues or something, some form like over this person to keep them on the floor. I saw that with my own eyes. Where did you see I that? I was just about to ask, was this after the there. SWAT team brought you to the prison cell? Like, <laughs> no, where did this, this happen? When the drugs were still kicking. Right. Was, was that a bad this joke? Was before, no, it's a great joke. <laughs> this was before drugs and before SWAT team. I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Of course. That's where that always happens. <laughs> it, usually At Hazleton it, or the Mayo Clinic It actually happens a lot in Africa, from what mm. I've been told. Like, literally happens a lot in Africa. Um but that was one experience, and I, I've had different experiences. I got really turned off when I was a child in Florida. The pastor came by the house and asked for money, and we didn't have much. And he was wearing a fancy watch, and I'm like, "This is not for me." Yeah. Pastors wearing a fancy watch, yeah. a- asking for money from a from a family who doesn't have a lot, and yeah. that was just like turn off. a Rolls Royce. Yeah, but yeah, but when I when I came up here, it's just I, I don't know. I just I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of listening, and. Um, And now it's like prayer, Hmm. meditation. And the key for everything for me has been acceptance. It's just accepting that things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, it just makes life so much easier. And, yeah, there are are a bunch of things that that I can change, and I do that. I work very, very, very hard. Um, But, you know, some things you, you just can't change you can't have any control of and then so if you just let it go and accept it life is so much easier and so much more pleasurable so much more simple and um the 12 that's that 12 steps programs teach that and i tell you um that was a sign from the exactly i knew it god approves of what you're talking about so go ahead yeah honest to god like i was just so judgmental about all this i used to walk down the halls um when I was in medicine and there was a, I remember there was a cardiologist that was an inpatient because she had been shooting up fentanyl, you know, one for the patient, mm. one for me, one for the patient, one for me. Mm. And I remember going by her room and thinking, how could she do that? Who does that? Number one, who takes drugs from patients? And number two, who shoots them up? Who, who gets high? Like what? You know, and, and I was so judgmental. Really, and this was a time of HIV, and and all the patients were doing. It was called skin popping at the time, and shooting up heroin and stuff. And like, I just thought that these people were. Forgive me, I am showing you my work. I thought these people were low lives, and here I'm one of them. What a great lesson! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's amazing you know? how life comes around. Like yeah, that. and and um, you know, people uh, and people judge me that way, mm-hmm. and that's okay. That's that's okay. That's their problem. And um, 
I will probably be stigmatized and judged for a long time, but I am helping just as many people yeah. with this opiate thing as I am with the beauty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you ever, I'm just curious, have you ever judged yourself? Did you ever go through a period where you beat yourself up? It sounds like you're oh my very self-accepting. Uh, no, I judged myself so harshly. Oh my God, what did I do with my life? Oh my God, how did this happen? How me? I was the good kid. I was the kid in school who didn't drink, who didn't smoke pot, who didn't try drugs, who didn't go out to the movies on the weekend. I stayed in and studied. Like, I was literally the good kid. How did this happen? Mm. Well, I, I truly believe I have a disease. I took those Percocet after that first surgery, and it was all over. Yeah. Like... That was it for me. And um, I don't think it was my fault. I do not have, it's not a willpower. It's not a, it's so much like diabetes. It's so much like not, you know, who judges a diabetic for eating sugar? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not their fault. They're diabetic. Yeah. Or if someone has cancer and they have to get chemo, they don't get judged. You know, that's a disease. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's how I feel. So I, I think Callie wanted to talk about the idea of beauty, though. About oh, yeah. Some yeah. Of like, your, I, like, I couldn't tell yeah. topic. Rob was just giving me a little hand signal. And I'm well, so I could talk, I could talk about beauty, but I think it'd be a lot better coming from you, especially <laughs> that we have a female on the show. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. I missed your cue there, my dear. Um, well, we, t- you know, so we talked about this a little bit when we met, and I think that this is also a really important theme, and we can, um, yeah, we can, we can start now and go into the sum in, in our final segment as well, which is the idea of inner beauty, which you've started to talk about and think about a lot more since you've gone through this whole chapter of your life right I mean here you are and your whole career is devoted to dermatology which at least on the surface no pun intended is more of an external uh, more it, it's based more around um, besides health and safety with skin issues is also um, a more uh, vain or very, or very, whatever words you want yeah, to use right very large part of my practice is cosmetic so how has it come full circle now that you're also recognizing and reconciling what it means to be beautiful on the inside does that play into your practice now very much so I um, one of the most beautiful women I have ever met and I'm sure she's not listening which is sad <laughs> um, was my surrogate I had a surrogate carry two children and she was not a vogue cover girl she was not she did not weigh a hundred pounds and she did not have her hair done and her makeup on and and um oh my god you just wanted to be with her she emanated beauty it just like came out of her pores and um i i i knew that and now in my practice you know a lot of people come in because their husbands are having an affair or they're getting a divorce or um, they're struggling with, you know, whatever. And they come in, and the truth is, a little bit of fixing here or there does make them feel better. Mm-hmm. It truly does. Non judgmental, whether it's right or wrong, is a whole other topic. It makes me feel better when I do a little tweet here or there. And once one feels better on the outside, it can translate to the inside, but it's so much better to have it on the inside translate to the outside mm. um that's not my job my job is is the dermatology and the aesthetics and the cosmetics and you know taking years off with what i can do you know it's a lot of sculpting and artwork and beauty work and i have literally met hundreds of very beautiful like they're literally very beautiful pe- beautiful women on the outside most of them are just as beautiful inside. You wouldn't think it. Like I've been the dermatologist for the Miss Universe organization for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And I take care of Miss Universe, Miss USA, and Miss Teen USA. I take care of the title holders. And people ask, yeah, what are they like? They're really, really beautiful people, like inside and out. And they are like, oh, my God, God made woman, and here you are, you know? (laughs) Um, Rob's like, "Uh, do you have a few numbers you can throw out to me? Um, But they're really beautiful people inside, too. You know, they're – anyway, that's – yeah. So uh, I'm thinking about, um, do you remember that song? It was back in 99, and it was like the salutation to the class of 99. It's called 
always remember to wear sunscreen and oh, in it yeah the, it was it was an article that a reporter in chicago had written and they made it into a song and one of the things she said was don't read fashion magazines they'll only make you feel ugly oh, i remember, remember that yeah I so remember that so i think it'd be great if you could talk to maybe a 16 year old girl out there who reads all those magazines and looks at all the outer beauty and maybe you can talk to her maybe about remembering the inner beauty as well well that would be me i I would I would be that 16 year old and that's why I, one of the reasons I moved to New York there's a great song on right now since we're a little short of time there's this great song and I, I don't know it's very pop for the younger kids now and it says um, you don't have to change the way you are the world has to change um, you know don't don't uh, there are no scar I'll have to think of it um, um, you don't have to change the way you are the world has to change the way they see you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I couldn't, I could not impress this upon a child. I have a, I have a younger, a younger girl and I will forever make sure that it doesn't matter what she looks like on the, on the outside. Like it's just, it, it breaks my heart when I see what these kids are doing. Literally breaks my heart. Mm. Um, for what? Um, that's why the, the magazines that have the guts to show their models, um, not, um, not, not photoshopped right exactly not photoshopped without the makeup and um, kudos to those Mm -hmm. that Dove campaign was the most Mm -hmm. glorious campaign ever huge fan of what they do Yeah. yeah yeah Well, we're trying to repair and heal hearts here and you're doing that by being on the show so we're gonna go to our last break and then we'll be right back and welcome back to our final quarter of the Robin Kelly Show here on talkradio.nyc. We are here with Dr. Cheryl Karcher talking about your whole story of addiction, recovery, building yourself back up, and um, here in our final moment. So and then to, triumph. And triumph, of course, <laughs> um, as Rob raises his biceps <laughs> into the microphone. Actually, I was working on my biceps at the gym today, so maybe I was just showing You're off. looking great, brother. You look good. Um, uh, but just the idea that, um, beauty and again, coming from you as a dermatologist working on uh, beauty, the the definition of beauty in one way, but how really beauty obviously comes from within. And often we hear that and it sounds like a cliche, but I think it's especially important and interesting to hear it from somebody of your, you know, your specialty and area of expertise, because usually the two feel mutually exclusive to each other. I know, you know, I would have probably have people saying, what are you doing? You're going to, you're going to kill your business, which is so not true. Like it's just so not true. It's kind of the same as like a, you know, heart surgeon saying, I'm here to really help you improve the quality of your life. So you don't have to come and see me. Right. You know, and it never really takes away from business. I think it's good karma and it's a holistic approach to, treating people as human beings instead of just you know opportunistic doctors so clearly you are the former you know yeah and just what you said about before and i loved your conviction when you were talking about you know if the the magazines had guts to do campaigns like the dove campaign Mm -hmm. and if doctors like you had guts like you you know to talk about this Mm -hmm. stuff you know because people need to know about this Yeah. yeah that's the other thing too even the doctor you know the um physician's addiction is really in the shadows i mean it's not something you hear about as often as I think we should. Well, no, first of all, um, a physi- an addicted physician doesn't want to go get help because right. they don't want to get caught. Right. I mean, they've spent, you know, fifteen years training their entire life to do what they do, and they're supporting a family or whatever, and it's just too hard. So, um, one of the biggest problems with physicians is uh, they don't want to go get help. They don't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to know. Mm. I mean, now, you know, the world knows, but, and and that became a blessing for me, but uh, not everybody's going to be so lucky as to have, have triumph. It's, it's a, it's a hard thing. So is this whole story and this whole process made you feel more beautiful? It makes me feel more centered. It makes me feel more full as a human being. Um, It makes me feel um, a little bit more love for myself. Um, the way I was growing up, if you love yourself, that's very self-centered and selfish, but I have learned, you know, kind of to love, it sounds so whatever, but to love myself for who I am. And, um, 
and it's just that feels really good mm-hmm. do i feel more beautiful maybe not i don't know if i'd say that but i'm certainly more accepting of myself um i love myself much more than i did um i live in much more gratitude more acceptance um yeah and i feel like i have a lot more to offer the world now than i did two three years ago a whole lot more to offer the world I'd say that's a definition of beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. My definition. <laughs> I don't know what yours is. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, not to use the cliche or go back to it, but it seems like you're very comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I am now, and that is priceless. You it know, is. and I've experienced that myself with all the work I've done on myself. Um, Callie and I have talked about that. She has as well. Like when you feel. the most comfortable you ever have as being that person that you are i mean the sky's the limit you know very true yeah and that's a great feeling and it radiates out because you're in full sort of vibration with yourself or alignment with yourself and that's i think what does emit beauty you can see you know you talked about your um, surrogate i mean people that we could name that we encounter people that you don't know they encounter in your lives every day and you feel that sort of energy and radiance from them you know, I'd gather to say without knowing them that there's a reason that, you know, from the inside they feel like they're either full or purposeful yes. or, yeah. you know, integrating or um, integrated, yes. I should say, or self-accepting, you know, and you feel that from people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just to give the guy's point of view on what you were talking about, the yeah. beauty and yeah, sort of yeah. models and fashion, you know, I've seen women, you know, I go to voiceover auditions and casting places and they're casting on camera commercials or projects and there are models walking in and out. And there have been times where I look at one of those models and I'm I'm like, yeah, she's cute. You know, she's attractive. But then there's some other girl working there who maybe looks more average looking, but she's sexy. She's confident. She has a good sense of humor. There's something about her like that radiance, Callie, that you were talking about. And I'm more attracted to her. So it's like you never know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also challenges going back to your story, Cheryl, I think challenges and just working through your stuff and taking ownership of it and healing and sharing it and being authentic and transparent and brave enough to speak about it in your case publicly. Yeah, there's another all part thing. of this process. You know, life is about relationships, mm-hmm. I believe. And it's very hard to have close, real relationships if you're not open and honest. And mm-hmm. I find um, the relationships I have now where people are always telling me everything's great. Uh, this is great. This is. I find it very boring. <laughs> I find it unreal. Yeah. And I do not find a close relationship with these people because it's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, things go great for me too, but you have to be able to, you know, life is good now. But if you can't open up, um, you can't have close relationships. Right. And I've also found that uh, secrets keep one from having any type of close relationships. Yeah. Secrets just don't work. Secrets, yeah. um, in, in the worst case scenario, secrets kill you. And in the best case scenario, secrets keep you lonely. And so I've learned that too. And it's a, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of gravitating toward, um, as my sister and I often say, when we meet somebody that we enjoy, um, they're raw, hmm. you know, they're just unfiltered and raw and real yeah. and there's messiness and beauty and all yeah. in the same sentence. And, yeah. you know, you kind of cover the, it's the 360 approach, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. I like messiness. Yeah. Like I like people, <laughs> I like people that will get messy in front of yeah. me and allow me to witness them and then support them. And I have so much respect for them. It doesn't mean, you know, I want messiness all the time, <laughs> yes, you know, <laughs> but it's like, there's something about it that is honorable and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a privilege and an honor sometimes, especially when I work with clients and life coaching where they get messy and then they start criticizing themselves and I'm able to tell them no 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 this is where the good stuff happens like be as messy as you want to be you know you don't have to be perfect and hold it together all the time exactly and in fact I think that's one of the things that may permeate this whole show how so many people feel like they have to control it and keep it together all the time and look good and act good and everything is great and it's like on the inside they're dying no religion or spirituality or any practice in the world, there's none that I know of that preaches um, be what you pretend to be. <laughs> like, try to be someone else. Uh, try, try to look yeah. better than you've, try to look better. Try to, you know, try to be, so, you know, there's n- nobody, it just doesn't work. Yeah, that's you know? a really yeah. interesting point, right? No one's yeah. ever said, Try to be somebody else. Yeah, try, try to try yeah. to look better than you really are. Yeah. Try to you know like 
that just <laughs> it's not in religions obviously and this is a topic for a whole other day but in our worlds in our families of origin in some of our belief systems and some of our churches and some of our schools that sense of sort of you know indoctrination or of you know sort of forcing the constructs happens all the time yeah. which is what lands us where we are right right yeah. right you're right in terms of the religions or the places that um seem to have a more uh sort of uh overall you know kind of good uh, dogma to aspire to you're right you don't hear anybody saying that Mm -hmm. yeah and i think people are most uncomfortable when they're trying to be someone they're not i know Mm -hmm. i've been that way in my life when i started to embrace myself you know in the beginning of this show we had a show about sensitivity is sexy and and you know i was talking about how ashamed i was because i was a sensitive guy and and, you know it affected my ego and, and i had to sort of embrace it more and also spirituality i was ashamed of being a spiritual dude you know and that i talk about the universe and stuff like that in prayer and meditation and once i started to embrace that about myself i just felt so much better about life in general Mm -hmm. I think that there is this big thing where people are afraid to talk. They're embarrassed to talk about spirituality or faith or religion. It's an embarrassment. It's a a topic that people are afraid to talk about. They're afraid of being judged or whatever. And I have really learned very very precisely that what other people think just doesn't matter yeah yeah like it just doesn't matter if that person doesn't like like me well that's fine like i have really owned that and so talking about my faith which is something which is very important to me you know um i i don't do it a lot for that reason i don't want to turn people off um but at the same time you know it it is what it is yeah yeah. Well, you can come to my dinner table anytime because I, I gravitate toward all the sacrosanct um, topics like death <laughs> and religion and politics and all the things that you always, you know, they always right. say you're not supposed to talk right. about. And and the thing on the show, you know, just to offer some takeaways to everybody, you know, just when we talk about God on the show or the universe, we're like, use whatever word exactly. or concept or whatever idea you got. If it's love itself, that's great. You know, we're just talking about something other than you. I bow down to the Church of Rob. <laughs> and I got to tell you, sometimes it's gratifying and sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> so quickly, in our, a ver- in our final minute, Cheryl, if people would like to find out more about you, where can they look? Um, they can look on the website at sadicdermatology.com or cherylcarchermd.com. Sadic is um, spelled? S-A-D-I-C-K. I mean, when I'm Googled, all this stuff all it all shows up like in the past it, you know nobody would have known anything about this but now google will never go away <laughs> all right well but also on to you know the your your the current representations of you which are all positive yeah. and honorable yeah. and yes yes yeah. yes yes no it's representing all good, all so, good. it's all good yes. it's all good yes. yeah and it's so great to have you on the show thank, and thank you, you for so sharing good. your story thank you thank, thank you, you so much for yeah. joining us we i hope it. yeah it's very very enriching and we appreciate your it's a real honor honesty. and a pleasure Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. So with that, this is the end of another episode of The Robin Callie Show. Take care, y'all.